You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the train track enclosed nerve center that's the headquarters of the office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment. It's also the historic headquarters of black entertainment television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the council. I'm Josh Gibson, director of communications for the council. You may also know me as the council's voice on social media at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know, if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the DC Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Listeners, we've worked our way through recording three rounds of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and a few new places, which I'll get to shortly. Those focus mainly on getting to know the council members' backgrounds, successes, struggles, and the people who shape and surround them. In the fourth round, we're broadening things out, tackling issues that interest the council members and me. Uh, So I had uh, hinted at this a moment ago, but we're back in the studio after a bit of a hiatus, and a few things are different. Uh, One, the studio has been soundproofed, so you won't hear the the episodic train whistle, even though that was kind of charming to me. Uh, Number two, we've added uh, video. So we will be able, hopefully, to share the videos of the interviews as well as the audio. And the audio is now available in a bunch of new places. It's always been available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and at 3 p.m. weekdays uh, on uh, 96.3 FM4. But now, like I said, it will hopefully be on YouTube. Uh, it's also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Radio, and TuneIn Radio. So there's every way to listen to the show. You have no excuse anymore. Uh, So with that little bit of a plug, uh, let me go to our guest, at-large council member Anita Bonds. Hello. How are you? Nice to be here. Good. That's the enthusiasm (laughs) I like to hear. Uh, So like I said, in this round four... The first three rounds had a lot of specific questions. In this round four, uh, I kind of threw it open to the council members. And we've had a wide variety of uh, topics from uh, council member uh, Chairman Mendelson was inducted into his high school's Hall of Fame. So he wanted to talk about that. We used that as a jumping off point to talk about uh, different policy. We did uh, public safety with council member Nadeau. We did trauma-informed education with um, Councilmember Grasso. Uh, we did some biographical family history with uh, 
with uh, Robert White. Um, and now we're going to do some literal family history <laughs> with Councilmember Bonds, who, uh, fill me in, I hear you have been doing some family history genealogy research, or you had some done? Yes, yes. Um, members of my family, my cousins and I, have been very interested in learning a little more about our um, ancestors. And one one side of the family, my father's mother's side um, has been, um, so I finally have something that I can talk about um, that um, dates um, uh, that side of my family uh, arriving in America uh, 1619, just like those that came over on those ships from Europe. Only we came from the continent of, of Africa. And I was very happy to make that discovery because, you know, everyone wants to feel that they're a part of and that they have somewhere that they're from and how they um, arrived here. My father's um, father, Native American, who was he was here already. And so it's it's very charming for me to know a little more about my background. Now we're looking at my mom's side of the family. So I'll fill you in on that later. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so what have there been any big surprises? Um, a few um, big surprises. Uh, I guess my my cousins would like me to talk about the fact that we are a very accomplished people. Um, from the Virginia landing, it's my understanding that um, we went as far west as Ohio, Michigan. Um, we were started out down near the dismal, the Great Dismal Swamp. That's that area, swampy area between North Carolina and Virginia. So we we have some some roots down in in that part of the country. Um, I was a little surprised to learn that um, Abraham Lincoln may very well be a, a relative, sincerely. So that was kind of intriguing. I, I yes. don't think I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of technical <laughs> details we don't, probably don't want to get into, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, just that um, the tree leads in that direction. And I have um, many branches um, in this particular document. So I was like, wow. <laughs> A little surprising, but you know, you say wow because you you don't ever know where and how, you know, your your background materialized. But there it is. And were you were you able to get any information about where in Africa? Um, um, probably Togo, um, Cameroon, most likely. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So. It sounds like you definitely are a, are a, a living melting pot. Uh, yes, if, if you have yes, some yes. Native American, some definitely. Abraham Lincoln, yeah, and some Togo and Cameroon. Or Abraham Lincoln has some of the Dunstons and the Harrises and the Rushaws right. and right. Harveys. Let, let's get things in the right order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, do you find that the new things you've discovered about your family, does it change your perspective at all? You know, um, it does. 
um, as I said, it, it gives me a sense of being. For many years, I have looked for, you know, where were we, how did we fit into the whole slavery experience. And um, from these documents that we have, it wasn't so much that we had any real time being slaves. Um, when we landed and there was a, um, a group of teenagers um, from, from Europe um, that were also sent to America to learn how to become adults and so indentured servants, really. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a group of Native Americans that were sort of co coalescing around what was going on as they were, you know, the new settlers were trying to get a handle on this new land. Um, and so they all ran away. <laughs> and so we were, we were part of that group that ran away. And that's how we got to Ohio, Michigan, and what have you. And um, there's some history that indicates we um, became, you know, effective landowners. So just just understanding the history of America, uh, the history of back in the day, 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 so to speak, right. is quite interesting. And it's something that I can share with my my grandchildren, um, in particular. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, I, I just didn't know, you know, there are a couple of, we, we all, I guess, hope to be, I always get sympathy and empathy confused, but we always hope to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes, other demographics. But when you find out that there's, uh, there are Native Americans in your own history, mm -hmm. I just wonder as you vote on issues, you know, recently we had the issue of uh, Columbus Day uh, versus Indigenous Peoples Day. There's always the issue of the, the team, of the, the name of the Washington football team. I'm just wondering if you've, I'm sure you've always uh, empathized with uh, Native Americans, but now knowing that you yourself have that history, if that changes your, your policy at all. It doesn't. It doesn't change the policy. Um, in fact, a few years ago, I introduced legislation to change the name from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. So, um, I I think I was right on point. Um, what it does as it relates to my emotions and and feeling about the legislation and how we govern, um, I I try to be very open to many different perspectives. I think that's the way we, we, we should proceed today. Um, people are a, a nice blend of many different uh, ethnicities and backgrounds. And we have to remember there's, there's seldom the black and the white world. You know, it's all very gray and some say mocha, what have you. And that's the real world of, of America today really I think pretty much the universe is very um, very very mixed and very engaged and um, you can't really say well I know that person because they look like this that they are going to be or they have this opinion or that opinion it's not like that at all um, people tend to vote more um, about um, the the economy um, and, and the economics that they have to deal with. Yeah, 
I, I think uh, hopefully uh, that America's heading in the right direction, that as yes. we all get so blended and their categories are, we should never judge people by categories, but as it gets harder to even figure out what category yeah. people are in, it'll be that much harder to point fingers and judge and make assumptions because we'll all truly be melted together. Now, Josh, if if our senior citizens were here, they would say, oh, no, we're a distinct group because <laughs> they always remind me. Oh, and I'm sure, I'm sure if um, we had a group for young folks, they would tell us the same thing. So the, the age ageism is something that we always will have to deal with. And right. people will sort of segment by, by age, you know. But also age is kind of unique because knock on wood, if we all live long lives, we all get to experience the different, the pros and cons of being in each age group. Whereas we generally don't get to understand how other uh, ethnicities, um, how, how, how they live, their, their right. lived experience. That's right. So, um, so uh, the, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a show on public television where, I think it's, is it Henry Louis Gates? I can't remember. It is. Do, does the yes. genealogy of yes. the, the different uh, TV stars and movie stars. Yeah. And they're always uh, good and, and surprising uh, revelations. Amazing um, stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but, it, but everyone just seems to come away, whether it's quote unquote good news, bad news, surprising news, they all seem to come yeah. away enriched just by knowing Oh, what yeah. What it took to sure, get there. Sure. So um, now you are uh, have been in Washington virtually your entire life. Yes. Um, so uh, speaking of, you know, trying to bring a couple policy issues in here, to be able to do that and remain in the city and have a family and remain in the city, it seems like affordable housing is the linchpin in, in that it is. Uh, possibility. Um, so is that something that you have you had a family home, a single family home that that you've had uh, going all the way back, or how, how has your family been able to stay in DC? Well, um, I I grew up um, in um, in a home, single family home. Well, really a, a row house, mm-hmm. uh, do semi detached. That's what I think. Yeah, semi detached okay. is the way it would be described today, um, and I. Went off to college, um, and when I came back, I um, went to an apartment. Okay. Gotcha. Rental. Yes, a okay. rental apartment. And then when I got married, um, got a house, um, a townhouse, and I live in a townhouse today. So I've experienced those types of structures. A building um, apartment with walk-up, I guess it's called a walk-up apartment, mm-hmm. like garden apartment, um, as well as those with um, an elevator. So can't call it a high-rise. We want to, but we don't have high-rises in D.C. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but do you want to talk a little bit about what is coming up in terms of affordable housing legislation in your committee? Just if you want to pick one or two that, uh, that come well, to mind. Well, you know, we the district is one of the very few places in the nation that has rent control. 
Um, and rent control is rent stabilization for all practical purposes. And on yesterday during the council session, I uh, introduced um, a means testing approach. And this is for any new residents that um, will find their way to a rent control unit. There are seldom uh, many vacancies in rent control units. These are units that have been around um, starting um, in properties that were uh, built prior to 1977. And so it's the older stock, but Years ago, um, in 1977, um, the D.C. government saw fit to put some limits on the amount of rent that can be charged each month for these units, and it continues. It's CPI plus two, no more than 10%. Um, and so that is a good deal in today's market in mm -hmm. many instances. Um, but if you're a landlord, you naturally would want to rent to the higher income person as opposed to a lower income person. Um, and so there's this um, uh, system in place where um, the um, landlord would like to say, well, if you make three times what um, the rent is, then I can lease to you at least three times. But if you make six times, I really want you. And so the six times um, leasey will end up with the unit. And so we put breaks on that in this um, legislation that was introduced yesterday so that, nope, let's not do that. And so now there is a, a ceiling as opposed to a minimum amount. So therefore, it gives persons who may really need the housing a better opportunity to be selected for those units. Yeah, I know when I first moved into D.C., uh, it was for a summer, and I am an inherently honest pe person, and I had friends who said, oh, just go ahead and sign the lease month to month, and then just break the lease at the end of the summer. But I, I wanted to go in and be honest and say, yeah. I'm only here for three months. And I was amazed that someone would rent to me, knowing I'd only be there for three months. But that was before I understood rent control, because if they move me in and yes. move me out, then there's the extra large uh, right. vacancy bump. Right. They can Up do to 30 percent right. of a comparable unit. And um, I put a little break on that a few few months ago. Um, so now um, if you have lived in a unit for 10 years, the only the value of the increase that the landlord can take when you leave is 10%. If it's more than 10 years, it can go to 20%. Um, so that helps a little bit. Trying to help, um, trying to look at our current laws and create some modifications so that we can help the tenant and at the same time understand we're not trying to, bake, to break the backs of the landlords or the housing providers. But the emphasis is on creating more opportunities for affordability for our residents. And and this, if I'm remembering correctly, this is the year where rent control in general is up. 
Yes. For, for a, what is it, an every 10-year uh, Well, it has been every 10 years, yes. And I did a bill earlier um, last month to um, extend rent control for another 10 years. We'll hold a hearing on it, and it may be that it might end up being 15 years. And I say that because we, we the city, is now a part of the uh, Council of Government's proposal to look at housing affordability in the entire region. And that plan goes or extends um, for 15 years to the year 2035. So it might be wise for us to have something that we can latch on to. I like to have some uniformity so that people don't have to remember so many different dates and different amounts and um, equations so that maybe we got one little something or two little somethings or three little something, but not 20, you know, to remember. Right. And and I remember when the minimum wage was increased to $15, mm-hmm. we coordinated that with some of the surrounding uh, Maryland jurisdictions. Correct. And that not only does it make it easier for the average citizen to figure out what the rules are, and if you live on one side of, uh, yeah. you know, Eastern Ave than the other, you shouldn't face a whole new set of laws if possible That's when you right. cross the street. So it's good to know that we're yeah. trying to coordinate yeah. our uh, rent control and affordable housing strategy yeah. regionally. Trying to do government um, people-focused as opposed to, you know, something else. But it's about the people that you work with and work for um, in a jurisdiction. And that's how I try to move forward in what I do at the council. That makes sense. Um, now, the other topic, we're, we're looking at things you kind of do in your free time. Yeah. We've talked about genealogy, tied in some policy to that. Um, the other thing that, that a little birdie told me you might be interested in talking about is baking and your academic history and chemistry. So I guess the question <laughs> I had when I got that tidbit was... What came first? You know, were you were you baking as a child and that got you into chemistry in college or did chemistry in college get you into baking after the fact or is it impossible to separate them? Well, it's impossible to separate them. I, um, I, I remember being very young and watching my grandmother, you know, uh, mix a cake, you know, by hand, bowl and then stuff being dropped into the bowl and I was I was totally intrigued with um how the the mixture changed and what have you um even today I mix my lotions and other things um and have for a few years 20 30 years mm-hmm. okay so um that just seems to be a part of me now. Um, in baking, I like to, you know, maybe sometimes once a week, unfortunately, I guess you can kind of tell. Um, I do um, a fruit cobbler of some sort. I might mix, you know, several types of berries together and, you know, and well, I like the, to do the, that. <laughs> in the grand scheme of baking desserts, you could do a lot worse than cobbler. <laughs> cobbler seems like a fairly clear yeah. conscience uh, yeah. baking uh, yes, opportunity. Yes, it is. It is. So, yeah, because past listeners know that, that you and uh, Marion Barry are our two uh, 
scientists who come from a, a solid yeah. scientific uh, academic uh, background. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, it, so to, to transition a little bit to policy, you know, it seems mm-hmm. like everything about schools these days is about STEM or STEAM. You know, science, technology, engineering, math, and then sometimes from it is, put yeah. in arts. Yeah. So is that uh, is that something that you emphasize, or are you more of a liberal arts person, or what? What, what do you think is the 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 secret to success for kids uh, in schools? I I am very strong on um, reading um, math. I think they go hand in hand. Um, there will probably be a propensity to have one or the other show up um, sooner in uh, the life of a young person, but I think you you need them both. Um, and definitely, I would start with probably with reading, because you've got to be able to pull the the language off of the whatever and 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 comprehend it and so i think that they're very important um science is really no different um you've got to be able to read in order to to understand and to do science you know effectively so i think it goes goes hand in hand yeah and then for for older kids because reading is obviously the gateway to everything um, but but with older kids, do you think that uh, that, that are you, you uh, do you see a lot of opportunities for uh, for jobs and sciences these days, or uh, what, what what do you think the job prospects are in the sciences? Well, I think when we talk about science, we're usually thinking strongly about the analysis side of a situation. Um, and that's why um, the so-called uh, word equations are so important in math. Um, but when we talk about it in the with young people, particularly teenagers, I think we have to find a way to get them excited about um, what is going on in their environment and how they can use what's going on in their environment to actually learn something. Um, and so I think that they can be taught hand in hand. When I say taught hand in hand, I think if we can get young people excited, I know everyone says, oh, this is go-go capital. We got to have our go-go music. Well, okay, let's talk about the beats and how many per second and, you know, how the rhythm, you know, Mm -hmm. blends together to make, I mean, then you begin to learn something and you can use, I think, that medium to, to do a lot and further an opportunity for a job. In the District of Columbia, I think we are saying that we have over 300,000 jobs, um, but I'm not sure how many DC high school graduates are having an opportunity for those jobs because I'm not sure that the jobs that are available, which tend to be more, I would assume more technology uh, focused. I'm not sure that everyone is latching on to the importance of technology. Almost any um, 
eight-year-old can do basic technology now, as you well know. Um, they all have smartphones, if nothing else. Um, but how do we help them in society to move forward and then translate that to a job? And to, for us who are not in school any longer, to understand it enough so that the young person can be um, um, moved in the right direction or encouraged to move in the right direction. I think we can do much more than we're doing. And I'd like to see more emphasis on the jobs that are in the market and getting our young people prepared for the market. You and I know that um, recently uh, there have been a number of studies uh, published uh, that actually point out that is college for everyone? If you want to be enriched, um, if you're going to become a professor and teach others, but if you want to have a job and to practice, you might not need college as we know it today and particularly when it costs you $50,000 a year. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a, lot, uh, a lot of things that we're questioning. You know, uh, college education, home ownership, yeah. things that we saw as the American dream. Yeah. Um, maybe still are, but maybe individual people might, might opt in or out. Yeah. But that's going to have to be a topic for another day. Okay. We have just one quick fun closeout question. Right. We always have the fun closeout oh, yes. question. <laughs> What I'm going to do, I'm going to read you, speaking of technology and smartphones, <laughs> some right. things that a lot of folks can't live without these okay. days. And I want you to say what is the one that you can truly least live without down to the ones you could kind of okay. maybe give up more easily. Right. And so these are your four things. Talking on the phone, like literally talking into the phone, uh, text, email, and social media. What What's the most precious to you and what are the ones you could kind of not so important to you i think i have to say texting is most precious that's most precious uh then talking on the phone then reading emails and then finally social media social media gotcha and i say social media is at the bottom because you don't know who you're speaking to. It's kind of like all over the place, and um, yeah, it's a little a little more distant. Yeah, it's texting, it is. you know, it's it your, is. your it personal is. network, right? And, family, and sometimes and people are so nasty, and you read something and you want to respond, and then you say, "Well, if I respond, will I? Will it be a got you? Will they pull me into it?" Yeah, you yeah, know, or it's, it's just fuel yeah, on it's fire. it's it's a medium that you really can't control. Well, sadly, we've just blown through our oh half hour. We're totally out of time, beyond time. Um, and thank you uh, again, listeners, for joining us. Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thank you. <laughs>